0: you know, here we are like passing this on to generation after generation for the kindness of a stranger. Someone was kind to me. I was kind to her. She's now helping all these girls get off the streets. And I think that's the ripple effect to me of what like kindness and service and this unconditional connection or love or whatever happened that cracked my soul wide open.
1: Welcome to the Good Around Us podcast. Here we share stories of people doing good for others. I'm your host, Stephanie Keeley. Well, it's a brand new year and the beginning of season six of the Good Around Us podcast. I hope the margin between holidays, New Year, and the eventual promise of spring are giving you a bit of optimism and inspiration. Though I fully appreciate a beautiful, peaceful snowfall, I often get bogged down by the grayness of this time of year and have to remind myself to appreciate the gifts of winter. But enough about me and the weather. You came to this little slice of the internet for heart-opening stories and a little push to do your own unique bit of good for the world. And that's just the kind of story I have for you today. Kendi Dixon has been devoted to improving the quality of life and education for communities in Kenya and Malawi for the last 25 years. This was not a mission she was born with or one she was instructed to carry out. Rather, a chance encounter with a loving stranger and the unconditional kindness she experienced is what changed the trajectory of her life. A native of Salt Lake City, Utah, Kendi first went to Kenya with her father when she was 16 years old. Here's her story.
0: My dad was one of the team members of Operation Smile, which is a team of doctors and nurses that traveled to underdeveloped countries to do surgeries for kids mostly, And he went, he was going to go over there to help get it ready for the team to come and took my one of my brothers and I with him on kind of like a spring break fact finding mission, you know. Um, And when we got there, he realized they were practicing medicine from 100 years ago, and just things were not ready for the team. So we had to stay a little longer than we had initially anticipated. And so it was kind of that scramble of, uh, we were getting our homework from the States, you know, faxed to us. This was like in the, in the early nineties. And so, you know, there was no internet or anything else. And, and we were, we were kind of a little bit, not stranded over there, but just unexpectedly there. And so I had an opportunity to just kind of be with the, we were staying with a family of expats who were working over there and we stayed with them. And so I got to meet their, house staff and their drivers and their cooks and kind of became friends with them and and that was kind of my introduction in the beginning of like understanding Kenya the culture some of the people I was 15 so I just didn't really have a lot of background with what to expect in a at the time it was very third world I think it's kind of improved over the last you know few decades but mm-hmm. it was the first time I'd ever seen that kind of poverty and that kind of um you know, just, it was very different from anything I'd ever experienced as a 15 year old.
1: Yeah. And so the, the cook in, in the house you were staying in, Margaret took you to the village for the first time. Um, what was that like?
0: For me, you know, she, it was, my dad was in the hospital doing work and so I couldn't necessarily help him. So he was trying to find something for me to do. And, and Margaret said, Hey, well, it's my day off. I'm going back to the village. Would you like to come? And of course I was like, sure. I'd love to see where you live. And I just didn't really even know what to expect. And at the same time, I had never, like I said earlier, been in a place like that before. And we had gotten out of the bus and had to walk really far, it seemed, through lots of kind of deep mud to get up to the place where she stayed. And we passed women who were carrying that looked like almost whole trees on their backs and you know people walking pushing carts and and we got to the village and it was mostly thatched roofs and um, dirt you know floors and and mud mm-hmm. walls and um, some corrugated tin structures but very poor they didn't have running water they didn't have electricity and margaret was so proud and happy to show me her home and it was a two-bedroom hut and in one of the bedrooms there were four cots and she told me that eight people slept in there Um, again a mud floor and it had recently flooded and so all of the things that they owned were on the cots to dry during the day and then they would move them onto the floor at night Mm. and I there was a fire an open fire in the middle um, that again kids had to be careful not to fall in and and I said well what is the second room for and she said oh that's for the cows They sleep here at night so they don't get stolen. And I just couldn't imagine again, as a 15 year old, what it would be like to share your home with two cows. Um, And again, just what came with that, not just the smells and the everything, but just to know, like she was so proud. And in that moment, I felt so grateful for everything that I had ever had and ever been ungrateful for um, because it really put everything into perspective for me that day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, what a perspective shift. For sure. The cows got their own room. Yeah.
0: <laughs> she was so happy too. Like yes, so proud she had the space. Home. You know, it was so big for her. And I just, you know, you complain as a kid that you have to share a room with your sibling or or maybe not, you know, and it still it's just to you know like eight people slept in. Mm-hmm. Four cots. Like, that was
1: a lot for me. Yeah. Head to foot. Just no, I mean, truly four cots is not a lot of space for sleeping. Um, So you noticed that there were a lot of kids around um, during the day. What did you learn about that?
0: Well, I was really curious about that because we were there on like a Tuesday and, and I said, you know, why are all these kids running around? Why aren't they in school? And she said, well, we don't have a school. And I just didn't understand what that meant. Like, how do you not have a school? Because doesn't everyone have a school? You know, again, I'm talking about my Western upbringing and she said, well, here in Kenya, the, there's no free education. And if you don't have money to pay to bust yourself into where there is a school, there just isn't one out here. And it was kind of in the slums, like a little bit outside of, you know, town, but I couldn't imagine not having a school. And so, um, when I saw all the kids, they were just, you know, playing, running around, chasing each other. They had a soccer ball that they had made out of garbage. Um, like, you know, the grocery, small food grocery bags. They had knotted a bunch of them together and tied them with twine. And that was their soccer ball that they were kicking around. And And they seemed really happy, but also, again, you know, idle and, and didn't have the opportunity for education. Mm-hmm.
1: So what was your experience then as you started interacting with people in the village?
0: Well, it was, I mean, again, I was 15, so I was, I wasn't an adult, but I was still big and they had never seen, they call um, white people Mzungus over there and they've never seen a Mzungu. Uh-huh. And so you could hear him whispering, Mzungu, Mzungu. And, um, and they were really cute kids. I think they were daring each other to try to come and touch me, you know, to see like if I would if I would bite or something and um I was feeling uncomfortable I could tell they were uncomfortable and I was really dirty at this point after having hiked up there and and had been helping Margaret like move some of her things onto the cots and so my hands were dirty and um and my my dad had gone on to to explore part of the village and I just stayed back trying to soak it all in I think I was a very introspective 15 year old trying to put all the pieces together of all the things that were happening because my heart was really cracking open to a new kind of thing that I just never experienced before. And, and as I sat there, I knew that the watering hole was like a mile away and that's where they had gone to check out, um, my, my family with some of the the villagers and, um, as I was sitting there just noticing, you know, here are my, I had like white tennis shoes on that were covered in mud. I had, my hands were dirty. The kids were kind of, it seemed like maybe they were whispering or snickering. I just was feeling uh, very self-conscious. And um, this man came up and he had been carrying two buckets of water from, again, I don't know how far he had gone to get them maybe all the way But he came down and and put the buckets next to me. And I was very startled, you know, by, oh, no, like he was a stranger. And um, he grabbed my hand and put my hand into the water and started to wash my hands. And to this day, like, I get emotional thinking about the sacrifice that he made for a total stranger. So that I could be comfortable in his village. And I thought, you know, like, there's. I just had never experienced that before that kind of kindness from a stranger. And I thought like he saw more than even I saw. I didn't ask for that, but he knew it was something that I needed. And immediately it was like, he didn't speak any English. I didn't speak any Swahili at the time, but what we communicated through that moment was something that changed my life forever. It really did.
1: Hmm how how do you think, how did that change you?
0: Well, I think again, just being a teenager and, and I, I wasn't a super bratty teenager, but I was a teenager, you know, who was just kind of, I think, you know, we grew up especially in in the United States is very entitled in a way. We don't really understand what we don't know. And, and I had just never been so far outside of my comfort zone. And I think to have somebody recognize that like I was worth that long walk and that water that he now could not use to drink or use they couldn't use for cooking or anything else because it was dirty um the sacrifice for a stranger just because like he cared um really just cracked my heart open to understanding Mm -hmm. that there are so many people out there that like maybe I could help that maybe mm-hmm. I could do something to show my gratitude. And that was the day that I decided that I was going to build a school for those kids. That just because they didn't have the school and the government hadn't been able to provide one for them didn't mean that I couldn't help them in some way. Because these strangers helped me feel at home in a mm-hmm. very, very strange and uncomfortable place for me at the time. And I decided at that point that I was going to try to do something to give back. mm
1: mm-hmm. So eight years later, you did go back to Kenya as part of your, um, uh, a, a college project, right? Right. Yeah. And, and you took about 20 people along with you. So what were you going there to do? Well, we
0: were kind of going
1: to just, I wanted to give back
0: to do service to do something, obviously, you know, at 15, I had no money. It took me the eight years, you know, to raise the funds and and to get people to to buy in on coming with me on the trip and um what was really funny though is that like i you know i had lost touch with a lot of the people we were writing letters back and forth i mean that was our mode of communication you know this was now like the late 90s and um i just knew that like something big would happen if i just believed in it and i just like had the desire to go I just trusted that like it would work out but I didn't have any specific plan and I knew that we wanted to do service we collected all of these for my friends I went to college in Virginia and these were a bunch of my college friends that we had done clothing drives and book drives and school supplies we had 60 boxes of stuff like literally packed in boxes to take with us to Kenya And back then you still could, like we, I somehow got a deal with the airlines that they had given us this extra cargo for free. Um, All these things were opening up, you know? So I knew like, of course, like we're, we're got, we got on the plane, we have all these boxes. We're just going to figure out where to go. But I literally had no idea where, where we were going to take these things. I wanted to go back and find Margaret's village and help those people. And in the meantime, there were other things I just was trying to be open to. Um, So, I didn't tell anyone like what we were doing. I just said we were doing service and in part because somehow, you didn't know. I didn't know. That was the only reason I had to <laughs> totally pretend. Um, and we got all the way to Kenya. We went the first day and there's places you can like feed giraffes and see the um, there's like an elephant orphanage. We went and did all the little touristy things. But the whole time I'm scrambling in the behind the scenes to find like where we're going to go. The next day was Sunday and we went to like a little local church organization and, um, and, you know, doubled the population of the the church. And so they were like, tell us why you're here. And in code, I was just saying to the to the congregation, um, we're here to do service. And if you guys know of anywhere else we might go, maybe come talk to me after, which again was code for me of like, please someone come talk to me after. I have no idea where we're going tomorrow. And sure enough, after the service people came up and said oh my cousin has a place and my sister here I have this thing and we filled up our whole entire week except we had an opening Thursday morning and I thought we'll fill that as we go like this is amazing what a miracle and this man Jenga which like the game um, in Swahili it's a a word that means builder and Jenga was this man who Had a school that he had started um, in the slums. It was one of those like corrugated tin shacks. They had one window, no desks. All the kids were sitting on the ground on the dirt floor and they had uh, like uh, two pencils. I think that they would share with each other to write things down, but they didn't have any books. They didn't have a chalkboard. The teacher just basically recited things. The kids memorized it and set it back. And there were about seventy-five kids in this classroom,
1: and seventy-five kids in the classroom. And there were two pencils, yeah, in the whole class, not per person, right, right. And they wow. had broken. They were two pencils. They had broken them in
0: half, so essentially there were four, like four pencils. Yeah. And um, and so Jenga came up to me and said, "Hey, I have a place you can go. How about you know Monday morning at eight o'clock?" And we were like, "Oh, we have something Monday. How about Thursday when we had that hole and." Said no, it has to be Monday. And I was like, okay, I found the other person. We switched and he met us in the morning. We got on our rented bus and headed out of town. And we passed the city and we went into again, you know, everyone was kind of singing on the bus, and we were so excited. This is our first project. And then everyone kind of got quieter and quieter as we went deeper and deeper into this area, which was, you know, there was garbage piled high in the streets. There Mm -hmm. were kids running around with no shoes there, you know, the laundry hanging out, just things again, we hadn't really been very used to in our culture. And um, we get to this little tin shack in the middle of nowhere uh, of the slums and we get out. And then on the bus, you know, I'm asking Jenga, like why, why Monday morning? Like what's so important about us coming today instead of some other day? And he said, because today, Monday morning, I was supposed to have a meeting with the city officials to officially close the school and send these kids back out onto the streets because we had nothing. We had no funding, we had no books, we had nothing, and we couldn't keep the school operating because it, we needed to meet you know certain standards. And here, here we show up with 60 boxes of school supplies, like wondering where to go, you know? And so the kids, they sang to us, we all just were basically sobbing the whole time of, you know, didn't realize in that moment we were saving this little school. And throughout the rest of the week that we were, the two weeks that we were there, we just like went from place to place and saw so much need and saw that sometimes something so small as like a box of pencils could change an entire classroom, you know, and that the everyone was so grateful and they were so happy that we had come. And I felt like something exploded inside of my heart of like, this was the thing. This was the thing that I promised that I would do when I was 15. I'm doing it. And I just couldn't, I couldn't imagine like not doing it forever you know Mm -hmm. people were like hey what now now that we're finished and I just thought I can't just go home and be like that was a really cool trip you know it was like oh no this like changed my whole entire life and I don't I can't like not come back and keep doing this and so there was uh, a man on my team of the dad of one of my friends I went to school with and had asked at the very end of the trip like so what's next and I was like you know what in 10 years I would love to see all these kids in uniforms and having a meal a day because sometimes that might be their only meal I'd love to see them you know in their own school with like desks and bricks and windows and a nice floor you know all the things and and he said well why 10 years from now and I thought well first of all I have to figure out how I'm gonna I took a loan out from the bank to pay for the rest of my trip like that's how determined I was to go. And I said, well, I got to figure out how to pay off this trip and save enough money to figure out how to build like a proper school. And he said, well, what if money was no object? And I said, well, then I would buy land today. And he said, okay, let's go. And he had some money and puts a deposit down on some land. Um, and that started Like for me, the process of I went home, I talked about it, I told my friends, and the next year we went back with 25 more people. And then we just have been doing that for the last 25 years. So for 25 years. Yeah, it really did change everything for me. And either, I mean, I've had some babies in between. So there were years I didn't go, but I would send a group. um, And COVID obviously affected some of our, our travel. But for the last 25 years, there's usually been a team going almost every year over there to build a school to, we're doing, you know, all kinds of other projects too, but um, it was kind of how it started for me. Just, it got in my blood and I knew that was something that I was just born to do.
1: Mm -hmm. And once you experienced it, you can't forget it.
0: It's true. And I think, you know, I read this proverb, like, I think it's either a Kenyan, I've heard it attributed to other place people, but, and also a man named Nelson Henderson, but he talks about like the true meaning of life is planting trees under whose shade you never intend to sit. And Mm. it stuck with me in a place of like, my kids will never go to those schools and they'll never sit under the shade or drink from the well that we are, that we're drilling. But the reason that I'm doing that is just, again, the kindness of a stranger to me was so significant that I thought I could do something. I'm just one person though. I can't like change the whole world. But for those kids in that little village or those ones that get a chance to have clean water or those that get to, you know, have an education, it, it matters. And I think I've seen throughout the course of my experience of working in Africa, because now we're in Malawi too. And seeing that, you know, when we first started naively, we would ask kids questions, you know, what's your name? How old are you? What do you want to be when you grow up? and they would look at us with just a blank stare like what does that even mean what do I want to be when I grow up you know and I realized just our ignorance of we growing up in America you know we get to dream about what is it that you want to do and you can kind of do anything almost and they didn't have that same luxury or the same um just like no the concept of it was so foreign and after the schools had been running for a while, and we would go back and ask that question, they started to have answers. Like, mm. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a pilot. I want to be a doctor. And the, the most beautiful one for me that still melts my heart was this little girl named Lydia, who was about 10 at the time. And she said when she grew up, she wanted to be like me and help girls like her. And mm. she was living in our orphanage. And I thought, you know, I really hope that she can do that. And now Lydia's She's probably almost 30 and started a foundation for girls to get them off the street. She teaches them sewing and graphic design. They have a whole program. And she's changing lives. And I thought, you know, here we are like passing this on to generation after generation for the kindness of a stranger. Someone was kind to me. I was kind to her. She's now helping all these girls get off the streets. And I think that's the ripple effect to me of what like kindness and service and this unconditional connection or love or whatever happened that cracked my soul wide open. Mm-hmm. Um, it does, it, it really does change people. And like I said, it's not necessarily changing the whole world, but that little part of the world is there's something that's like, we can't, we can't not see what's going on. And every time I go back, it feels like home mm-hmm. yeah you know? So those are, that those have become my kids and, and my people just as much as as anywhere else. When you've even sponsored some kids. Right. Mm-hmm. I do have five, five kids I sponsor and three little grandbabies right now, which is so awesome. Um, to see them. But all of those kids, you know, they we kind of all grew up together. I mean, I was in my twenties. Mm-hmm. Now I'm almost 50, you know, doing this work. So it's like going through and and being part of their growing up and watching the two we have two doctors. We do have a um a pilot and nurses and journalists and like people that just were these kids who were on the streets and had stories that were too sad to retell. I mean, literally just the status of conditions. And my friend Lori, who um, at the time she was starting uh, Warm Hearts Foundation, she um, saw these kids and decided like, we have to build a home for them. And so uh, there were 18 kids in the beginning who started, who lived at Warm Hearts. And so this last, I was just there in October and we had a little family reunion with all the kids who could come and almost all of them were able to be there.
1: And it was 18 who Uh were first there.
0: Oh yeah. And so some of them are married and have kids and some of the, one of the doctors was able to be there and just hearing their journey of this was their family. These were their siblings. And we as their kind of pseudo parents, you know, that that came in and out of their lives just to to show them support. Obviously, we found Lori found sponsors for all these kids that stuck with them the whole time. So they were able to have the, the chance to get an education and to really change their lives. But even, you know, the doctor offers free clinics, you know, on the side or is growing food on his farm that he donates to the community or people that are, you know, trying to give back like Lydia that I mentioned and her um her little uh sewing and and graphic design school it's it, you see that investing in someone's future actually can really pay off because they they give back and are inspiring the next generation uh mm-hmm. the same way so it's really yeah. beautiful to me it's it's so rewarding that I just feel like it's the best thing in the whole wide world to be yeah. able to just be involved in that work
1: yeah, it's exponential because, you know, you think about without the school or without the gift um, that you persistently, you know, was fundraised for and collected and, and went over for, without those things, it would be true, there would be heartbreak and tragedy and, and 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 real danger. You know, people living on the streets, not having education, not having anywhere to go during the day. And then you know the flip side is not just that they get an education and have somewhere to stay, but then that generational change—you know, the yeah. change of a profession and um, health and education—and it changes things. It really does. You see for the communities, yeah.
0: Because, like I said, it's a small. I mean, we're working in a small area, like still in the slums, you know. But um, there's so much need still, and I wish we could just do all the things and and provide for all the needs. But even the small bits that we can do, you just start to see that over the years, I think we've probably been involved in building close to 18 schools, maybe 20. And we have almost 400 water wells in Malawi. You know, there's there's things you start to see if one well benefits 4,000 people. How many people are being touched and affected by just some kind strangers donation here in America that may or may not ever see that well, Mm -hmm. that may or may not ever see those bricks that they donated for, or the, you know, the things that are really happening, because we're taking them on the ground, you know, to help um, these communities. And it really does, like, you'd be amazed to see that something so small as, you know, a a little $50 here or $1,000 there there suddenly adds up to blessing an entire village, you know, really changing the health or the education or the structure of how they are now able to operate. And, and so it feels overwhelming at times because you start to just think like, oh, I'm just one person. I can't do anything. I I don't, I can't, you know, make any big difference or it doesn't matter. And I really just try to remind everyone that like every little bit counts, every, dollar that is raised or everything that goes straight to those projects really does change them it really helps and so Mm -hmm. we we have to stop thinking like just because we don't we're not billionaires and we can't change the whole world that it doesn't matter
1: because it really does Kendi's early humanitarian work was filtered through reach the children and world of difference nonprofit organizations she and her father founded following those initial trips to Kenya after meeting Lori Wood, founder of Warm Hearts Foundation, and with the focus of World of Difference shifting to medical interventions, Kendi has since invested her service as a board member of Warm Hearts Foundation, which focuses on education, clean water, sustainable farming, and projects that serve communities in Kenya and Malawi.
0: And so we're trying to to really help women and girls primarily, especially um, with the idea of keeping them in school. And since um, girls you know, in, in, in Malawi especially don't have access to sanitary supplies when they're on their cycle, um, we have a sewing project that's helping to make the kits that are reusable and washable so that the girls can actually stay in school. They don't have to miss a week every month. And the Rotary Club in Michigan that's helping us raise money for a bicycle project so the girls can ride a bicycle to school and especially when it's dark and they're riding home, it's just safer for them. And, um, and, and some boys too also have, you know, access to the bikes, but, you know, again, it's, we can take over supplies, which we try to do. We, we fill it, Everyone that comes, I'm like, everything you need to take, fit it in your carry-ons and your two check bags are just supply. It's soccer balls and books and pencils and all that because the schools don't really have access to a lot of those things. And, especially where we work, which is out in the very rural parts and in the slums, there's just no, there's no like, you know, grocery that you can go to and just pick up all those things. So it does still help, but you're also limited because even though we can take up to a hundred pounds per person over there, it's, you're not gonna have enough pens or pencils for every kid that you meet, you know? And so we try to just, I, when I tell people like, you know, again, bring all the things we can, but when you're thinking about what to bring, think about a classroom versus a one child. Like I don't bring Mm -hmm. shoes. I don't bring clothing because that only benefits one person. And it's really sad and kind of rude almost to give one kid something and not everyone, but you can bring a whole box of pencils. You can bring a whole box of chalk, you know, that the teacher can use and a soccer ball that like one ball really can help a classroom. And so we try to think a little bit bigger of the the collective, because Mm -hmm. again, we can't do everything. And I wish we could bring enough, but we just wouldn't be able to, you know, it's just, it's not really sustainable. And also the only way we can get it over there is when we're taking it with us. Um, because shipping it is just not, it's, it's just too hard. So yes, in a way we are still, you know, taking stuff over with us because it does help. And also monetary donations are our best, our biggest bang for our buck, because someone can donate toward any one of the projects, whether it's the sewing the kits for the girls, or it's a well, or it's a school, or it's, um, you know, any of the, like, we have goat projects, we have bicycle projects, you know, those kinds of things that we're trying to help villages to be a little bit more self-sustaining. So that also helps too, because it's easier to send money on the ground for, for things to happen. And at the same time, we're We're so small that, like, we'll we'll take anything, you know. Like, we're we're grateful for any gifts because they do they all matter.
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's amazing to me when I hear about all of the different um, initiatives that you're doing, um, from the wells to the the projects for girls and children generally, for schools, for community. Um, It is amazing to me to think that this is a 100 volunteer run organization.
0: Yeah, it's true and it's I I mean we all are very busy volunteers, you know, <laughs> like um a lot of the board members are retired and so um they have a little bit more time and some resources and some of us are just squeezing it in and the in between everything else we have going on, but I think it, the reason why we we started it that way was because we wanted to say that 100% of the donations go straight to the kids and straight to the projects and that helps to know that it's not, you know, funding just someone's private jet somewhere or something, you know, which sometimes happens in, in larger organizations. But, um, you know, it does take a lot of love and and time and dedication to to keep these kinds of projects going. But I think the labor of love is really the payback of you. It feels so good to be able to know you're helping. That I think that's sometimes better than any paycheck and at the same time it requires a lot of, of dedication for right. committed volunteers you know to to keep it going.
1: Yeah, well certainly you've got clear passion for it and you've just devoted your life to this service in this way um which is which is what keeps you going I guess.
0: Yeah, of course it's definitely my my passion and I think too those are that's like my family. So I would take care of those kids like I would take care of my own kids and um, it was funny when I when because I had these five kids for years before I ever got married and had kids of my own and um, and I thought it would be really different when I had my own baby and I I couldn't tell like emotionally I was like oh my gosh I thought like this would feel so different is something wrong with me like that I. I loved my own babies, just the same as these other kids. And I realized that it's because I love them with my whole heart. So it wasn't going to be any different. And it didn't matter if I had them myself or if I just, you know, they were my kids, like regardless of where they're mm-hmm. from. And so I feel that same way about all 18 of those kids, you know, from the orphanage and pretty much anybody that I meet over there. I, I, I love them like they're my own kids. So mm-hmm. for me, like helping my kids wherever they are, it, it just it doesn't matter if it's how much time it takes and and how much you know headache it is sometimes to get all the things taken care of but it's
1: totally worth it in the end yeah so i'm curious um because you you have clearly described a moment that really changed your life and it was when that that man dropped his buckets of water that he walked a mile to get for his own family or his own needs and he he washed your dirty hands with them in the middle of the In the middle of the village, and um, that changed everything for you. Certainly, the trajectory of your life is much different than before. Um, Have did you ever see him again? I never did.
0: I never saw him again. And even Margaret, I mean, we've worked in the village and and helped you know build a school and things there, but um, I never did see him again. And it was one of those moments where it was like. If it was in a movie, at the very end, you would wonder, like, did it really happen? You know, it was so, um, so powerful. But and I, I just like, I'll never forget the exchange. Like, all I could say to him was "asante sana, which means thank you so much. And Swahili, you know, I knew like a couple of words. And but like something happened in that soul exchange where like I knew he knew he knew that I knew and he probably didn't know. And still doesn't, you know, know like how much his, his like generosity to a stranger really like helped me solidify like, oh my gosh, this is the thing I want to do for other people. And um, yeah, I I wish that one day we could cross paths or he could even know the impact he made. But I, if if I'm really honest, I don't think it would matter. Mm. You know, I don't, I know he didn't do it for that. He wasn't trying to be like, I'm going to be a hero. And I don't even know his name. You know, he wasn't trying to do it for that. And so I think for me, like, that's why sometimes it it's just about, like, that experience of touching a life. And I can't even tell you the countless times and the millions of stories that I have about the people that I'm going to help that end up helping me more than I could have ever helped them. And I think that's that's what the exchange is when you do this kind of service is it fills you up more than you can actually fill other people. I mean, I honestly feel selfish half the time in the work that I do, because I'm so happy and my life has been so blessed by it that I I often wonder, like, I wonder if they, if I'm even helping them at all, because this is helping me so much more. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So, Candy, what is a quote that you live by? I think that that one that I said earlier, you know, the meaning of life is to learn how to plant trees under whose shade you never intend to sit. I I, I really love to believe that we don't do service for the recognition or for the accolades, but because of like who we are to be able to just open up our hearts and give whatever we have to know that it does make a difference. I think that just, it's the thing I keep remembering that it's not my purpose to try to make this about me or make it about even the organization about anything it's just about doing what we can and and not expecting to like that guy he never saw the the tree grow into what happened for me and all the people that I've touched because he touched me I think that passing of the flame is um is just really symbolic and so I think that quote is is something I really just live by as best I can
1: Well, thank you so much for sharing your story here. Um, I know I'm inspired by it and I just appreciate your your selflessness and your generosity. And it's really amazing what you've been doing and what I know you're going to continue to do. Well, thank
0: you. Thanks for even just caring enough about people who are making a difference in the world because I think you're doing the same thing. So we're doing it in all of our own ways, right? right. But it all counts. So thank you. And thanks for letting me share today.
1: Here's what I'm taking from this conversation today. If I see someone and have an inkling of a thought to reach out, connect, or support, even say a simple hello, I'll do it. You just never know when you will create the small ripple in the water, which will turn into a large wave for someone else. This story of good begetting good, the kindness of strangers, and the ripple effect of each moment. This is why I started this podcast in the first place. And it's the reason I can't quit sharing these stories. It feels important for me to show you the many ways a person can make a difference. I have a feeling that you are making a difference for other people just by being you. Keep going. If you liked what you heard today, don't miss an episode. Click the follow button with the plus sign on Apple Podcasts. Also, leave a review. It truly makes a difference in how we can spread these stories to inspire more people. To support the work of the Warm Hearts Foundation, go to the show notes where I've placed a link. Thanks for listening to the Good Around Us podcast. Until next time.